Jenny and I moved to Kentucky uh, from the suburbs of Chicago in 1992, and we faced culture shock. I want to define this for you. Culture shock is the feeling of disorientation experienced by someone who is suddenly subjected to an unfamiliar culture, unfamiliar way of life, unfamiliar set of attitudes. I did not expect that roads and highways would be a source of disorientation. Roads are roads, right? Wrong. See, in Illinois, we have county roads and highways that run straight and true <laughs> with wide things on the sides called shoulders. And then in Kentucky, we just put some gravel and, and asphalt on curvy horse paths. I enter into exhibit A, uh, into evidence. Here is a picture of a highway. This is Highway 1. I didn't even go down all the numbers. I just picked the first highway. Here's a photo. Look at the grassy median separating the two lanes of traffic. See this thing over here? This is called a highway shoulder. Now, if you've grown up in Kentucky, you don't even know what this is. This is a foreign concept to you because you've never seen one of these ever, uh, except when you're traveling on the interstate to go to Florida. So, this is what a highway should be as God designed it. And then here's, here's, what, we have in, here's what we have in Kentucky. I know that road. Yeah, you've been on this road. I've been on this road. This is the way to go to Shakertown. David Branley might be on this road later today. God help you. Uh, you know, look, if you go to the left, you're running into rock. That's death. If you go to the right, you can go over the guardrail down the long ravine into the Kentucky River Palisades. Also death, right? It's not good. I can remember a trip that we took to Nancy, Kentucky in the 1990s. There was a group of men going down to Nancy, Kentucky, which is where the 4-H Leadership Center is, for a men's retreat. And David Fogel uh, was driving his King Cab pickup truck, and I was sitting in the back seat with James Palmer. James was a student at Asbury Theological Seminary at the time, and he was from Michigan, also a place with straight roads, in grids with wide shoulders. Now, David, because he was a born and bred Kentuckian, he knew exactly the maximum speed that you could take around each, <laughs> each and every curve without causing the truck to, to tumble over off the side of the road. And so he went right up to that line on every curve. And with each and every curve, James sitting next to me would moan. Mm. Mm. And we thought he was going to be really sick. In the last 30 minutes, whoo, that was something to behold. I, I don't know about you, but I've had my fair share of close calls on Kentucky roadways. I've been run off the road more than once. I've had a car cross, see these double yellow lines? This means do not go over this. That's what it means. Stay on your side of the road, and yet people wander over because, Lord, they're prone to wander. And then, and then you've got you've to do a Captain Picard. Evasive maneuvers, you know. And, and so all along, all along, I've actually had a false sense of security. I have believed wrongly that as long as I was behind the wheel, I'd see him coming. I'd be able to steer or brake accordingly. And you know what I've really been? Lucky. 
lucky. That's all it's really been. It's not my driving skill. It's dangerous out there. It's really dangerous out there. Any of you who've had a 16-year-old obtain their license for the first time, you know exactly what I'm talking about because it's dangerous out there. Everyone's distracted. They're on their phones and devices. People are driving aggressively and half of them are drunk. And you know this as a parent of teenage drivers. How many of you parents have actually tried to brake or steer an imaginary brake pedal or an imaginary steering wheel while your teenager was driving? Yeah, you know, you know what that is. You know what that is. You controlled nothing. Control was an illusion. It was an illusion. Much of life works this way. I've showed this before. I'm stealing this again from Sky Jathani. We live in a dangerous world. Ah! And you know this if you have teenage drivers. And so we're afraid. And out of fear, we attempt to control that which we cannot control. And so this is a cycle that happens with us human beings. And because this world is filled with chaos, ugliness, and scarcity, that makes us afraid. And so in our fear, we try to exert control. And no amount of control will ensure our safety or guarantee that we have what we need. Which is why time and time and again in the Bible, we're implored to have faith. Have faith. Trust in the Lord. Have faith. Trust in the Lord. People like Abraham, Moses, and David trust in God, not in ourselves. And so today, my big idea is simple. Jesus is the only place where surrendering control makes sense. Jesus is the only place where surrendering control makes sense. We're in John's gospel as we lead up to Easter, and I'm hitting five of the seven statements where Jesus says, I am, okay? And throughout John's gospel, Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world. I am the gate or the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And when Jesus says these things, he's trying to tell us something about who he is and what our response should be. And so today I'm in John's gospel, John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. And we're going to read it. Uh, and then we're going to go through, and I'm going to hopefully teach on this, all right? Well, I tell you the truth, Jesus said, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep didn't listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So Jesus says, I am the gate, or I, we would say, I am the door. And he's saying something really important. He's talking about a sheep gate, but why is this so important? So for the Jews of the first century that dealt with sheep and shepherds and pastures, uh, they did this in something called the wilderness. Now, the Jewish wilderness is not what we think of. In Kentucky, that's a bunch of 
honeysuckle that's taken over forests and it's a lot of green stuff. In Arizona, it's kind of cactus and weird, strange animals like armadillos. But in Judea, it's a bunch of dirt, rock, and large stretches of nothing before you hit a little pasture of green and water. So it's a dangerous place if you're a sheep because food and water are scarce and predators are in abundance at night. And so one of the things that Jesus is saying when he says this is that some of you that are a little paranoid, you're, you're not wrong. There are things out to get you. <laughs> okay? So as sheep would enter a sheep fold, okay? And here's one you can tour in Jerusalem today, outside of Jerusalem. Here's the guide with his ID badge. I love it. Okay? But this is how they were constructed. So they were on the edges of towns. They were often made of rock. You can see the kind of uh, thicket thing they've put on top to prevent a predator from trying to jump over. And so the shepherd would place himself right here. A very famous Scottish theologian about 60, 70 years ago went to toured all over the Holy Land and he was asking a local Palestinian shepherd about how to be a shepherd. What does it involve? And, and uh, the guy encountered a sheepfold like this and he said, well, where's the gate? Because the guy was from Scotland. Like, you know, you have a gate. That's what you do. And the shepherd responded and said, I am the gate. It was almost like Jesus jumped out of the pages of the Bible 2000, from 2,000 years ago, right out of that mouth of that Palestinian shepherd just in the early 1900s, right? And so as sheep would enter the sheep fold at dusk, the shepherd would check them for wounds, would kind of with his rod make sure they didn't have too much lanolin in their wool. And the only point of entry for the sheep and for predators is through that opening. So you have to go through the shepherd to get to the sheep in the middle of the night. Thieves and robbers, on the other hand, they don't go through the gate. Thieves and robbers, humans out to get the sheep are going to go over the wall. And one of the first things they're going to do to the sheep that they want to take, you know what they do first? They slit the throat of the sheep. You want to know why? Because the sheep don't want to go with a bad shepherd. <laughs> bah, bah. Like they'll be having the bleeding, help me shepherd. Like that's going to go on. So the first thing a thief or a robber has got to do is kill the sheep. And so Jesus talks about this. I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will go, come and go freely and find good pastures. Now, Jesus is saying something really important. They will come and go freely. He's talking about protection and provision. And I know for some of us, this is going to be hard to hear, but it's true, okay? In the Bible, in the Bible, God defends and protects his people. He does, okay? Deuteronomy 3.22, do not be afraid of the nations there, for the Lord your God will fight for you. Joshua 23, each of you will put to flight a thousand of the enemy for the Lord your God fights for you just as he's promised. Proverbs 18, the name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly run to him and are safe. First Thessalonians 3, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. And then throughout the Bible, God, it speaks to God's provision for the uh, Hebrews that had been freed from Egypt. It was manna 
And then there's this extended passage in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters and to green pastures. The still waters speaks to emotional provision. The green pastures speaks to physical provision. I understand that some of you can hear this and feel unprotected and feel unprovided for, okay? We live in a fallen world, one that is dominated by principalities and powers. And at the risk of sounding like a Pentecostal preacher for a moment, if in this metaphor you and I are sheep and God is a shepherd, or in this case, the sheep door, right? The shepherd at the gate, I am the gate. Uh, then there are things out to get us as sheep. We have predators and then there are people trying to thief and steal us and whatnot. So it's, it's a dangerous place. Paul talks about this in his letters. He, said, he refers to principalities and powers and he says, you have an unseen enemy that's doing everything that they can do to get you from not trusting God. Don't trust God. From the opening pages of the Bible, the serpent in the garden, did God really say that? Can you really count on what he's saying? Could you, should you, eh, eh, is he? Like, <laughs> okay. So right out of the opening gate of the pages of scripture, we're told we have this enemy that's trying to get us to not trust God, lessen our trust of God. Um, and so your enemy doesn't even want you to tr uh, trust God partly or badly. Like your enemy wants you to run from God, okay? Jesus, in a sense, uh, cues us into how that plays out because we see this in John, in John chapter 10. When Jesus said these things, the people were again divided in their opinions. Some said, well, he's demon-possessed, can't trust this guy, he's a nut job. And then others said, well, that doesn't sound like a man possessed by a demon. Can, it, can, a, can a demon really open the eyes of the blind? And so there's this, can we really trust him? Can we not? And here we are today in the same boat, aren't we? Aren't we? Look, Jesus says, I am the door. And one of the things that he's saying when he says, I am the door or I am the gate is he's calling out the false shepherds of Israel. So something that's happening in this larger passage, for those of you that like your theology and doctrine and all that stuff, one of the things that Jesus is doing is saying, Man, you Pharisees, you're, you're really blind. You're false shepherds. You're bad for God's people. Okay, that's one of the things that Jesus is saying uh, in this passage. But because life is so scary and dangerous and chaotic, we have this tendency to turn to false shepherds looking for provision and protection. We do. We have this tendency to do this. And it's not in our interest to do that, but we do because we're looking for provision and protection and we're not sure that God can really deliver for us. And so I, I wanna kind of expound on five false shepherds that are prominent in America. I'm stealing this shamelessly from Matt Chandler, who's a pastor in Texas, but people in Texas are not all that different from people in Kentucky, <laughs> okay? One false shepherd in America is this false shepherd of rule keeping. Now, we don't have this problem at Generations Community Church. Congratulations. You, one of your issues, one of our issues is not that we're just, oh, those, those are the rules. Those are the rules. We got to follow the rules. Like, you're rule breakers. <laughs> but much of church life in America in the 20th century was kind of built around rules. Don't drink, dance, smoke, or chew, or associate with those who do. And if you followed the rules you were in, and if you didn't follow the rules, you were out, and that's how it worked. And so part of the things that played out for people was, am I good enough? Am I keeping the rules? 
The irony of rule-keeping false shepherds is that the rules that they create are often curated to their own strengths rather than their weaknesses. If you look at the actual rules, right? Okay? So rule-keeping is one false shepherd that people turn to, religious rule-keeping in particular. In America today, self-expression is another false shepherd. Whatever's inside of you, just discover it, express it. Don't let anyone tell you it's bad or harmful because you know what? Deep down, you're good. Just follow your heart. And that's what we're told. We're told that. And, And we're told, you know, if you will just do that and reach down and express it and put it out there, people will applaud. I got news for you. People will not always applaud. People are downright mean. They will slap you, punch you, kick you, and say all kinds of horrible things about you on Facebook. (laughs) You can't trust people to applaud you expressing stuff. And then the whole dynamic, I'm 53. I barely know who I am now. You're going to tell me at age 15 I'm going to do that with success? Reach deep down, pull it out, express it, know what that is? That's crazy. It's crazy, but it's sold to us as a way of salvation. One that's really big in central Kentucky is good relationships, a false shepherd. Here I am at the UK ball game with my smoking hot wife. Um, my kids are doing great. Here's some awesome things they did in school. And so if my relationship with my spouse and my kids are good, then I'm it. Everything's as it should be. The issue there, the irony there is that sometimes people will turn to their spouse or their children and ask those people to do something for them which they cannot do. In other words, uh, tell me I'm good enough. Solve or address my inadequacies. And when we do that with our husband or our wife or with our children, we ruin the relationships. We do. Uh, By the way, if you don't know this, often what happens when you fall in love with someone and you marry them, you often fall in love with and marry someone who is also equally broken but not broken in the way you're broken. (laughs) And so part of marriage becomes a means of holiness, right? By which you become more like Jesus and not looking to them to save you, okay? Uh, Another one is economic security, another false shepherd. In other words, if you have an income level or a certain amount of money stowed away, you're set, all's good, life is good. Because I travel in the Chamber of Commerce, I'm around some people that have an income level I can't even get my mind around, okay? Uh, I was at a Chamber event once a number of years ago where somebody in my presence referred to $500,000 as chump change. Like I had to fight not to do the... (laughs) Like I would be a billionaire, you know, right? Okay, totally different category. When I'm talking with some of those people about where they are in life and how they're feeling about life, I will often hear things like, well, Max, you know, when this deal next year goes through, then I'll be set. And what they're saying when they say that is, I, what I have now is not enough. And the irony is when they get to that point next year and that deal does come through, that same feeling will be there they will be looking to the following year and the following deal because then it will be enough. See, it's never enough. It's never enough. The last thing that's a false shepherd thing with Team USA is political victory. If my candidate or my political team wins, we'll take back America or we'll bring about justice like nobody's business. 
And so, you know, again, false shepherd. Here's the thing. Utopia is a myth, okay? So if you're on one of these political things where you're like, if we just get the right person in, you know, we'll bring America back. Or if we get the right person in, we'll usher in justice. No, (laughs) it doesn't work that way. Political saviors are never saviors. Uh, And in the the realm of human history, I, I love studying history. Anytime someone's trying to bring about utopia, they're almost always subjugating or doing something bad to another group of people to bring that utopia into existence. So bad, dark things happen in human history when we're trying to do this kind of stuff, okay? So those are just five false shepherds that people look to for a sense of provision and protection and sometimes identity. I would imagine you could probably think of more because you guys are smart people, places where we look to protect and provide for us. But here's the thing. Anywhere we look other than Jesus Christ for protection and provision in an ultimate sense is idolatry, it's false shepherds, and those things are out to take, kill, and destroy, okay? All of those things lead to destruction. So let me ask some questions in light of Jesus' claim, I am the gate. The last couple of years have been bumpy, have they not? It's like a flight from Houston to London, I'm just talking hypothetically, where you hit the jet stream in the wrong way and the plane is just shaking for like four hours straight. Like that's what it's been, I'm not saying, uh, you know, (laughs) hypothetically, (laughs) hypothetically. But that the last couple of years have been bumpy, like a turbulent flight. Has this season made trusting Jesus for protection and provision more difficult for you? And if so, how? Secondly, uh, all of us have taken wrong doors. The older you get, the more you recognize, oh man, that was another wrong door, stupid me, (laughs) stupid me, okay? We've all taken wrong doors, but is there one that you remember pretty strongly? And how did going through that door impact your life? And lastly, in what ways do you seek control over unpredictable things in your life? Uh, The early version of me, the younger version of me was high, high control. It's less so today, but I still, like if I talk to some of y'all, y'all, and your life is just chaos and I will want to go home and mow the lawn or wash the dishes or do something that can be fixed, clean, done, right? And when that's happening, I recognize in myself what's really going on is I can't fix them. I can't save them. It's not my job to do that anyway. And so, right, so recognize these things in you. In what ways do you seek control over unpredictable things in your life? So how can you and I take this home? I have some suggestions, as always. First and foremost, figure out where you're looking for protection and provision. Where do you tend to lean? One of my big sin areas for that over the long arc of my life is financial security. So if I feel like I've got I'll just pick a number, 15 grand tucked away in the back of the checkbook. I'm fine. I'm insulated. It's a myth. (laughs) Your home could burn down tomorrow. Like anything can happen. Anything can happen, okay? So where are you looking for protection and provision? 
and some measuring sticks to know, to, to figure out if you're looking to that in an ultimate sense. Um, what if you lost that thing? Would life suddenly not seem worth living? Would you still love God? Or would it seem like the end of the world? Right? That's, those are kind of some good measuring stick questions to help figure out where you're looking for protection and provision. Secondly, please, for the love of all that is holy, say no to formulas. If I can rail against uh, my prosperity gospel friends again for a moment, God love them. Right? God is not a cosmic vending machine. He is not a cosmic vending machine. If, so we often approach God this way. Well, God, if I do X, will you do Y? If I'm faithful with blah, 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 will you bless me with blah, 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 blah. <laughs> And God does not work that way, okay? It's a way that we're trying to control God. All these formula ways of approaching God just don't work, which is why Jesus freaked out everyone, right? Everyone, he didn't fit any of the boxes that people were trying to put him in. He was unpredictable in those ways because God's going to do what God's going to do. Um, C.S. Lewis gave us a great way to get our brains around this concept in his book to children, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The Pensive children are in this fictional, you know, not, well, it's a fictional book. They're in this magical place where animals talk and blah, blah, blah. And so they're talking to these set of beavers and the beavers tell them, oh, the, the guy in charge of it all is a lion. And they're thinking, what? A lion? Are you kidding? Like, is this safe? Mr. Beaver, what does he say? No, of course he's not safe. He's not a tame lion, but he's good. What do you want? <laughs> Safety! <laughs> right, and that's the human plight right there. So say no to formulas. Thirdly, name your fears, combat them with scripture. One of the best things that we can do is figuring out the things that we're afraid of. God's word speaks to a lot of things. Having those I'm finding that I'll have scriptures and prayer requests now in my car. My car is the place, instead of checking my phone at stoplights, I'm checking the prayer list and the scripture things I'm supposed to be checking. So if, if you're behind me and the light turns green, show grace. <laughs> I promise I'm not on my phone. Okay, so name your fears and combat them with scripture. And then lastly, determine if you engage in distorted thinking. Control freaks are great about catastrophizing. So we assume the worst will happen. So for example, if I were still in school, I would say to myself, if I have five classes, if I fail this one class, I'm gonna flunk out of school, I'll never get a job and then I'll be homeless. Really? <laughs> but it feels so real. So there's this dynamic, understand, determine if you engage in distorted thinking. So again, we are not all that different from the people that Jesus preached to in the first century. We're sheep, we're wanting to be shepherded in a good way, and sometimes we turn to places we shouldn't turn because those things are out to kill and destroy us. Um, but I gotta draw out this thing about what God is really saying. So you're not farmers, I'm not a farmer, uh, and so, it's hard to understand just how dumb sheep really are. So I want to cover that for a moment because in this metaphor, God's calling us sheep and we should recognize it's not a compliment. <laughs> he loves us, but he's, he's speaking the truth. Okay, he's speaking the truth. Sheep are dumb 
They do not have the sense to come in from the rain. They can easily wander off and get caught in a thicket or eaten by predators. There's a reason today on online forums and in your social media where your uber political friends will, you know, well, you know, sheeple. That's never a compliment, is it? Right? And they, the reason they use sheeple is because sheep are dumb. And if you don't really understand this, I've got, David, will you play this video, okay? We're going to watch something together you've seen. There, there's us right there. Oh, we're stuck. Jesus, help us. Help me, Jesus, help me. I need help. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, this is so great. I'm free. <laughs> okay? I want you to remember this metaphor and this way of describing humans, <laughs> humans and God, okay? I want you to remember this metaphor. Again, sheep are dumb. But Jesus, Jesus is the only place where surrendering control makes sense because, and as I will teach on in a couple of weeks, Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus is good, and Jesus can and should be trusted.